With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy, and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market. Support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22. Or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. Jessica and Daniel Groves fought to get custody of their baby, Dylan, after he was born with drugs in his system. When he was finally returned to their home, they weren't able to keep him safe, especially from themselves. This is Monsters. Jessica and Daniel Groves had been married for more than a decade and had a 14-year-old son named Daniel Groves Jr. They lived in a trailer in Otway, Ohio. Jessica had worked as a licensed practical nurse, but her nurse's license expired on October 31, 2018, though it's not clear when the last time she worked was. Daniel had worked for a farm supply company called Rural King. When Jessica became pregnant near the middle of 2018, she and Daniel had become addicted to drugs. She testified that she didn't become aware of her pregnancy until the middle of October, when she was five and a half months pregnant. She told Daniel about the pregnancy a few weeks later. Jessica and Daniel arrived at the hospital in the early morning of January 10, 2019. She was already dilated 9.5 centimeters and almost ready to give birth. Hospital staff said she refused to answer questions and to submit to a drug test, so a urine sample was taken via catheter. Her urine came back positive for drugs. The hospital staff were not able to give her pain medication due to the lack of medical records and since she refused to answer questions. Nurses said she seemed intoxicated. By not giving her pain medication, they would be able to more accurately find out what drugs were in the baby's system so he could be better treated. The baby, Dylan, was immediately put on oxygen since he was born premature, but hospital staff said that neither Daniel or Jessica asked about the condition of the baby. They tested Dylan's urine, which came back positive for drugs as well. The tiny infant quickly began showing signs of withdrawal. 
He was kept in the hospital for five days while Children's Services came up with a plan to release him to Daniel, who they believed was clean. As part of the plan, Jessica was not to live in the house and she was to have limited contact with the baby. Before they were able to put the plan in place, it was denied by the hospital. They tested Dylan's umbilical cord and found methamphetamines, amphetamines, fentanyl, and opiates including morphine. That's when Children's Services decided to place Dylan in foster care while they figured out what they were going to do. Andrea Bowling was a school teacher in the area who had her own son who had grown up and gone to college. After that, she wanted to be able to help other children and went through the process of becoming a licensed foster parent. That included 40 hours of training classes, a drug test, a medical physical, a federal background check, and a home inspection. Interestingly enough, none of these things were required for Dylan to go back and live with his father. Andrea had previously fostered a six- and a seven-year-old pair of siblings for a year and four months before they were reunited with their parents in November of 2018. On January 15, 2019, she got a call asking if she would be able to foster a baby. When she got done teaching that day, she went out, picked up some diapers and some clothes, and arrived at the hospital at about 6 p.m. to pick up Dylan. She was also able to collect the other items she needed from friends and family. I had, from where I had my previous foster son, I had a room that was vacant. Um, my cousin uh, gave me the crib for Dylan. Um, and then I had a rocker recliner upstairs that I brought down so I could rock him. And then a friend of mine from church gave me a mamaroo, which is a... It's a device like what they have at the hospital, which is kind of like a high-tech saucer-type thing that rocks the babies um, and soothes them. And so we had one of those brought to the house. And just I have a really good support system of friends and family, and it was just like clothes were coming in, and, and uh, it was almost immediate. I had everything I needed for him. It seems like there was this mad scramble from your community of friends to... It was, yes. It was... A mad scramble, and then, then we had a, a room that was perfect for him. She had a whole community of people who were able to put together a room that was perfect for Dylan. In a day. Someone who was ready to love and take care of Dylan and do whatever it took to keep him safe and healthy. And most importantly, she was sober. Andrea testified that she had taken 12 days off from work and was going to take more off so she could focus her attention on Dylan. She said that he still had withdrawal symptoms. His arm shook and his leg twitched, and when he wasn't sleeping, he wanted to be held the entire time. It seemed that being wrapped up tight in a blanket and held helped ease the withdrawal symptoms. She also told the jury about a visitation she brought Dylan to within those 12 days where she believed Jessica showed up under the influence. She said she notified child services. Despite Andrea's warning, on January 28th, Child Services placed Dylan back into the care of Daniel under their original plan. This plan was approved on the basis that Dylan was employed by Rural King and that he had told them that he had six months of leave available. This information also led them to believe that his work history meant that he was clean, since they did random drug tests. Once Dylan was back in the care of Daniel, he was seen by a pediatrician on February 7th and February 21st, where the doctor said that he was progressing well and injury-free. They were supposed to have weekly home visits with child services, but that didn't seem to happen. 
The social worker did manage to visit the home on March 28th and said that Dylan was being held by Jessica and that he showed no visible injuries. That was the last time Dylan was seen alive. Daniel then began missing appointments. Visits with child services, court dates, doctor's appointments. Child services spent two months trying to get a hold of Daniel with no success. They finally called his employer, who informed them that Daniel hadn't worked there since the middle of 2018. They went to Daniel Jr.'s school to try to ask him where his father was. Finally, the sheriff's department got involved and tried to contact Daniel. On one occasion, they saw Daniel on a four-wheeler near his house, and when they approached him, he fled. On April 24th, Child Services picked up Daniel Jr. and placed him in foster care. Jessica had written on the calendar in her house, quote, worst day ever, end quote, on that date. The Scioto County Sheriff's Department got a warrant for Daniel's house, and on June 10th, 2019, the Sheriff's Department, the Southern Ohio Drug Task Force, and the Ohio State Patrol surrounded the house and demanded that Daniel and Jessica Groves exit the residence. Jessica opened the front door, and authorities reported she was belligerent and claiming Daniel wasn't home. They sent in a robot to search for Daniel in the house, and he wasn't inside. Jessica was arrested and taken in for questioning. Sheriff's Detective Jody Conkle was assigned to the case, and she testified that all she knew going into the interrogation room that day was that a child was missing. She asked Jessica where Dylan was, and Jessica claimed that child services had picked him up. Detective Conkle knew that wasn't the case because Child Services is the one who reported the baby missing. While Jessica was being questioned, Daniel returned to the house where he was promptly arrested and brought to the station. Detective Conkle questioned him and he initially told her the same story, that Child Services had taken Dylan. The detective testified that Daniel was dope sick and spent part of the interview lying on the floor, moaning and passing gas. He eventually broke down and told her that he came home one day and found Dylan dead in his crib. He claimed that the baby was not injured, and he assumed that he had died of natural causes. When the detective went back to Jessica, she told her that Daniel had confessed that Dylan was dead and tried to get more details, but Jessica wouldn't respond. She then went back to Daniel, and he finally agreed to tell them where he disposed of the body. Myself, uh, Captain John Murphy, um see Detective Matt Spencer, multiple people, along with canine dogs, which were brought in out of county, drug task force. There, We took um, Daniel out there to where he told me that uh, Dylan's body would be, and we searched for hours. Um, the area we were in, it was kind of up and down, hilly area. There was a creek that ran through. We were everywhere searching there, multiple people. We searched there and around the residence. When you went out there, did you have information about what type of items you might be looking for? Yes. Um, he uh, had told me that the baby was in some type of container. He couldn't remember what type of container. Um, told me that's where he put it, kind of, you know, what the baby might be wearing. Because, you know, there should be stuff there. Even I've had other cases where, you know, a body's been left out. Even if animals would, you know, eat on a body or drag stuff off, you always find something. Uh, we found nothing. On June 11th, Daniel took them to a location, but they weren't able to find any sign that Dylan had ever been there. The following day, Detective Conkle interviewed Daniel again. He insisted that he was telling the truth about where Dylan's body was. He also asked over and over again if he could see Jessica. This wouldn't be something the jail would normally agree to, but Detective Conkle made a quick decision that would ultimately help her out a lot. What are they charging you with? 
kidnapping, abduction, and um, I got another misdemeanor. You had court this morning? Video court. I had video court yesterday morning. My bond's $100,000. For kidnapping? Well, what else do you got? Kidnapping, abduction, and... And something fooling with custody, something misdemeanor for, felony four, and a felony one. I think if my abduction is a felony three, for some reason. Maybe it is a felony After the couple has a casual conversation about their charges, they start whispering about what they had told the authorities. They're clearly aware that their interview is recorded, or at least being monitored, and they must think that their whispering can't be picked up by the mic. As someone who records stuff for a living, I can tell you, in a quiet room, even a cheap microphone will pick up everything. The audio isn't great, but you can definitely hear him say, quote, They took me out there yesterday, wanted me to take him wherever he was at. I took them somewhere else, end quote. After they talk about their charges and whisper about their story and how Daniel took the police to the wrong location, they spend the rest of their time complaining about the conditions of the jail. They also spend a bit of time talking about their dogs. When Daniel was arrested, the police said he was worried about what would happen to his dogs. While he was being interviewed by the detective, he asked about his dogs. While he was visiting with Jessica, they both expressed concern about what had happened to their dogs. You know who they never talked about? Their children. I mean, outside of trying to not get caught for Dylan's murder, they never show any concern for what has happened to Daniel Jr. and never showed any remorse for their dead baby. Detective Conkle returns Jessica to the jail and resumes her interview with Daniel, now armed with some damning information. You're welcome, but you know what? You lied to me. What? Took us to the wrong place where the body was. Why would you lie? Why would you want to hide? You know what? Why would I so lie? Okay, here, I'm just going to be straight up with you. You're just making things way worse for yourself because you know what you're going to pull around? You know what they're going to indict you for? Involuntary manslaughter. That's what's going to happen. I think you were place. Yeah, you did. Who said I think you were on place? You took us to the wrong place. Yeah, you did. I didn't take you to the wrong place. You did. And you know the thing is, the hardest thing for me is I've been nothing but nice to you. I'm trying to help you. So by you lying about where the baby is makes me think that you're not telling me the truth about what really happened to it. Okay, well, you know where the body is. You took us to the wrong spot. I didn't think you were the wrong spot. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that's where I'm talking. No, no, no. You just told uh, Jessica that you took us to the wrong spot, and you didn't tell us everything. Yeah, yeah, you did. I did. Yeah, you did. Okay, listen to me. 
I, I heard it come out of your own mouth, okay? That ain't what I said. That's exactly what you said. I can hear it plain as day. There's amplifiers in this room. I heard the whole entire conversation, everything you said. Okay? I, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing everything in my power to try to help you. Okay? So, by you doing this, you're just hurting yourself. You know? And if you're, if what you, you know, if what you're telling me is correct about how your baby died, you'd have no reason to be doing this. He plays dumb, but eventually realized that he fucked up. He claimed that the baby died of natural causes with no injuries, but he doesn't want the authorities to find the body because they'll figure out that that's not true. He continues to deny that he took them to the wrong place and then starts talking about his dogs again. The detective brings up Daniel Jr., but Daniel goes right back to showing more concern for his dogs. He eventually breaks down and agrees to take them to the correct site where he disposed of Dylan's body. Detective Conkle testified that Daniel took them out to another grassy area that was barely accessible by vehicle, and he pointed out into the grass. But the detective just looked at him and told him that she knew he was lying. Daniel finally gave in and pointed to an old spring well in the ground about a hundred yards away. Now, this isn't a well like you'd picture in a movie. A circular rock wall with a little roof and a bucket on a rope. This is literally just a hole in the ground. Someone had dug down about 30 feet to access a natural spring that would fill the hole up with fresh water. Daniel said that he went hunting in the area and knew where a number of them were. They eventually get overgrown with grass and become quite hard to see, so you have to be careful walking around out there. Police contacted dispatch and had them send out the fire department. They weren't able to get their vehicles to the well, so they had to carry all of their equipment out there and try to recover the body. First, they attempted to pump out the water, but they only got down a few feet before the pump became ineffective. I've worked in construction in the Pacific Northwest, and I've dealt with basements and foundations that have flooded due to an underground water source, and those springs can easily refill a hole faster than you could ever try to pump them out. The only other option they could think of was to connect a number of straps together with a hook on the end and just go fishing. With an enormous amount of luck, the firefighters were able to hook an object and pull it to the surface. The object weighed about 80 pounds and took multiple men to pull to the surface, but when they finally got it to dry ground, they were able to determine that it was two plastic milk crates that were connected together with a heavy chain, three padlocks, and a series of zip ties and copper wire. Inside were 18 large rocks and an infant's body wrapped in seven layers of plastic and duct tape, and there was a heavy iron ring that looked like some type of flange placed around the body, most likely to ensure that it never floated to the surface. The medical examiner testified that Dylan weighed 4 pounds 8 ounces and was 20 inches long, though she did explain that decomposition would cause the body to lose some weight. An external examination of the body showed dark discolorization on the back of his head, a bruise on his chest, bruising on his scalp down to above his eyes, and a laceration on his left arm. Uh, so beneath this area is a fracture of his humerus, which is just the bone of the left arm. And here is the bone, which is fractured. And um, his left forearm is also fractured. You have two bones in the left forearm, uh, the radius and the ulna. So both bones of the, the left forearm are also fractured. So here we can see the bone of the left leg. This is his left tibia or your shin bone, and it is fractured. 
This is his spine running down the middle of his body, and these are his left ribs. And you can see that the ribs are uh, nice, straight, smooth bones. And here we have on rib six a large nodular area, which is a large callus from a, an old healing fracture. And the same thing on rib seven next to it, a large nodular area, which is a healing old fracture, left ribs six and seven. Doctor, in your opinion, would these fractures have occurred at the same time the fractures that we just looked at occurred? No. We'll be right back. The medical examiner described three fractures in Dylan's arm and one on his leg, plus two rib fractures. She explained that the rib fractures had calcification on them that showed that they had been healing for some time. The other fractures had no signs of healing, not even microscopically, so they would have been caused at the time of death or after in order for the body to have no time to start healing. But those weren't his only injuries. Uh, so we have... Uh, reflected his scalp away from the bone of his head, his skull. So we're looking down on top of the top of his head, the bone. And this is the right side. This is the left side. And here we have a fracture on the right parietal skull. And here we have a fracture of the left parietal skull. So they're both on top of his head. Okay, and about what is the size of each of those fractures? Uh, the right side is uh, about two inches, I believe, and the left uh, approximately one. One inch? Yeah. Okay. Um, if you would explain to the members of the jury any other significance that you see in the, in the difference, if there is a difference in these two injuries. So... The fracture on the right side, this longer fracture here, um, between the two pieces of bone that are fractured, there is uh, some tissue formation showing some signs of healing. Um, that is not seen on the fracture on the left side here. Dylan had two skull fractures that had happened at different times as well. One fracture showed a minor amount of healing, and the other one showed no signs of healing. The medical examiner believed that there was at least three separate violent events up to the time of Dylan's death. One when the rib fractures happened because they had been healing for the longest amount of time. One when his skull was fractured because it had been healing for a short amount of time. And one where he received another skull fracture, multiple broken arms, and a broken leg, most likely causing his death because there was no healing found on those injuries. Due to the decomposition, she wasn't able to give a specific cause of death, but she believed that he was deceased when he was placed into the well. She also explained that the brain will liquefy when it decomposes, and the liquid is usually a gray or tan color, but the liquid in Dylan's skull was pink. She believes that it was because his brain had been bleeding at the time of his death. A test of Dylan's liver came back positive for methamphetamines and amphetamines. She confirmed that the drugs that were in his system at birth would not have been in his system any longer, so Dylan ingested the drugs some other way. It was unlikely that, at two months old, he found drugs and was able to put them in his mouth, so he either got them from breathing secondhand or through Jessica's breast milk. 
The hospital said that Jessica wasn't breastfeeding, but maybe she started. It's not confirmed, and the question of how the drugs got into Dylan's system has never been answered. After hearing about these injuries, I want you to remember that Dylan was born on January 10th, premature, and both Daniel and Jessica confirmed that he died on March 28th. He was just under three months old, 11 weeks to be exact. He was premature, so at his last doctor's visit, February 21st, he weighed 7 pounds, 15 ounces, still about the size of a newborn. Someone abused literally a newborn enough to cause these injuries. Jessica admitted causing the injuries, but she maintained that they were accidental. Jessica, did you and you only cause the death of your son, Dylan Groves? Yes. Did Daniel Groves participate in the killing of Dylan? No. Was Daniel Groves aware of any of the injuries that you called Dylan that may have led to his death? No. Did you hide all injuries that you caused Dylan from your husband? Yes. Even though Jessica admitted to causing Dylan's death, the case went to trial because the defense lawyers were trying to get Daniel off of the murder charges, claiming he was only involved in the disposal of the body. But how do you see a baby lying in a crib with a skull fracture, a bruised head, bruised chest, a severely broken arm, and a broken leg and have no idea he's been injured? Was he that high? Then, how do you pick up the baby and wrap him in plastic and duct tape without knowing about those injuries? You don't. Their son, Daniel Jr., testified that he saw black and purple bruising all over the top of Dylan's head and his head was swollen. He said that those were the only injuries he ever saw, but he said that Dylan was around for a few days and the bruising started to go away. Then he disappeared. Daniel Jr. most likely saw the first skull fracture that had just started to heal. How is it possible that Daniel didn't see that? It wasn't. Daniel admitted that he actually saw some abuse. So, he was don't never... remember telling Detective Conkle that you saw your wife hit the baby a couple times. I said that I had had what I thought were dreams of it, but I was unsure if they were true or not. I did was you, really sleep you deprived. Say you saw your wife hit the tech, You saw your wife strike the baby. I said I did, but I thought it was dreams. So it's a dream. I was very she sleep deprived. Was it true you told Detective Conkle she said because it because he wouldn't stop crying and because she was so agra, agitated and aggravated? And if I bought her coke, she wouldn't be that way. I, you don't recall hearing that? I recall saying that, that we did fight because she was wanting me to buy her drugs, yes. So you do recall her threatening the child? A direct threat, no. No, not a direct threat. Okay, so you, you saw her strike the baby four times, correct? I, somewhere around there, yes. And you didn't take it as a threat that she was aggravated with the baby, all you need to do is buy her coat. As a direct threat, no. That didn't give you cause for concern for the safety of this baby? Uh, yes, it did cause, give me a cause for concern. Okay, so now you are concerned at your wife's behavior in the home about the danger to the baby. Yes, I was, but she was... And what did you do? Did you call Children's Services? 
Did you call Children's Services and tell them? Uh, no, I did not. She was going through therapy. Did you call the police? No, I did not. Did you call Andrea Bowling? No, I did not. Did you go down to the neighbors and say, I'm concerned? No, I did not. Did you kick her out of the house that she wasn't supposed to be in in the first place? She was not living there all the time. She was allowed to be there during the day. And you let her come back in after that? Yes, I did. Right. He thought he had dreamt that Jessica abused Dylan. He absolutely knew what was going on, and he did nothing, because they're both selfish drug addicts. Every time there's a case of a drug addict having their baby taken away, they fight tooth and nail to get them back, only to turn around and kill them because, quote, they wouldn't stop crying, end quote. Fuck you. Let someone else take care of the baby. Jessica wanted to get on the stand and try to gain the sympathy of the jury by telling them a sob story about how everything was an accident, but that meant that she was required to be cross-examined by the prosecution, something she wasn't happy about. Answer the question, please. How did you cause these injuries? It was an accident. Not your excuse for what happened. How did you cause these injuries? How did you cause those rib fractures? By dropping him. By dropping him. How did you cause this that first two-inch skull fracture? I don't remember. How did you cause that one-inch skull fracture? It had to be from dropping him. How did you cause that complete upper arm fracture? Nothing that I ever did was intentional. I'm not asking for your excuse. How did you cause that complete upper arm fracture? Tell the jury. I have to live with this for the rest of my life. How did you cause that? You have devoured my family. Ms. Rose, you answer the questions that are asked of you. You understand? I've admitted to my guilt. How did you and I have to live without my children. I'm done talking to you. You are talking to me because you're sitting on the witness stand. Tell them how you caused that injury. So the prosecutor devoured your family? How? By punishing you for murdering your infant? Hold on a second. Where did I put that victim card? Oh, there it is. The sheer audacity of someone to murder their two-and-a-half-month-old baby, to beat it to death to cause eight different bone fractures and then still believe that it's someone else's fault that her family's been destroyed? Come on. Her answers are either, I don't remember, or I dropped him. How many times did you drop your baby, lady? You'd think you'd start being more careful. The judge had to call a recess while Jessica's counsel explained to her that she had to answer the questions or she'd be charged with contempt. Then they returned from their break. Tell the jury how you caused that complete upper arm fracture. Remember. You don't remember? No, I don't. You remember the day those, you said the injuries were caused on the 27th, and he died on the 28th, so you remember all that detail, but you don't remember how you caused that upper arm fracture? No, I don't. Tell the jury why you wrote on your calendar on April 24th, worst day ever when Daniel was taken, but there was no entry about the worst day ever when you killed that baby. I didn't kill my baby. It you was didn't? It an accident. 
How did you cause those injuries? I don't remember. Then how do you remember it was an accident? Because I would never hurt my children intentionally. Never. How did you cause those injuries? I don't remember. I done told you that. And the worst day ever, the day that I lost my last child, both of my children. Look at this photograph, Jessica Gross. How do you not remember that? Tell the jury how it's possible that you would not remember doing that. If, in fact, you did it. Ma'am, tell the jury how you would not remember that. Because my mind wasn't clear. Why? Because of drugs. Are you telling this jury that all of these injuries occurred at one time? In one incident? No. How many times did you attack baby Dylan? I never attacked him. Then how many accidents did you have, Jessica Groves? I don't remember. Tell him what the accidents were. You keep asking me the same questions. And because you're not the answering the answers. question, ma'am. I told you I don't remember. I don't remember. Two fractured ribs, then a skull fracture with bruising and swelling, then another skull fracture, a broken arm in three places, and a broken shin. She doesn't remember any of that. Either she's lying or she was so high at the time that she doesn't recall abusing her infant multiple times until she finally caused his death. How does that make her more fit to care for the child? The mental gymnastics are exhausting. You've seen the pictures. You heard that 15-year-old little boy describe that baby as having bruising all around where his hair would be expected. How would he describe that picture from the autopsy if that wasn't the way that baby looked? But defendant Daniel Groves didn't know And Daniel Jr. said it was a matter of time, after he sees this, that the baby disappeared. He didn't know. He couldn't have called right then for emergency medical assistance to give baby Dylan a chance to survive. I submit to you that's the least he could have done. You're expected to believe that these parents, who everyone from the hospital testified, never asked questions about that baby when he was removed and couldn't breathe, stayed glued to each other, and then packaged up their baby and threw him in a 30-foot well, were suddenly so caring that they wanted to hold baby Dylan every time Patricia Kraft was there. 
You suppose that's so she wouldn't touch him and figure out he had injuries? Patricia Kraft was the social worker assigned to the case who said that Dylan was always wrapped up, being held by Jessica when she was able to make home visits. It's because Daniel knew exactly what was happening with Dylan and he was trying to keep his wife from being arrested. Keeping Jessica out of jail was a bigger priority than protecting his infant son. You were told that Daniel Groves panicked and dumped baby Dylan in a 30-foot well. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, does this look like panic to you? Does it? A chain, three padlocks, 12 zip ties, eight wire ties, 18 rocks, six layers of plastic and duct tape. Does this look like panic? I submit to you it looks like extreme planning. They want you to believe they're not complicit to their baby's murder. But this, this is what they chose for a coffin and his burial? This? And then they dumped him in a well. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Guilty on each and every count. Each one of them. Jessica Groves was found guilty on all 11 counts and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus 32 years. Daniel Groves was acquitted of aggravated murder, but found guilty on the remaining 10 counts and was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 47 years. Not only is murdering an infant one of the most heinous things a human being can do, but to then continually act like you're the victim just shows how utterly hopeless you are. The idea that you can kill your own child, who is so vulnerable and unable to protect himself, makes you a monster. But going on the stand and crying about how the authorities destroyed your family? No. You destroyed your family the minute you started beating that infant. You started the process of destroying your family when you let drugs become more important than your children. These two don't deserve freedom. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe or follow the show to ensure you don't miss an episode, and you can leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. 
When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22 or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie.